Cheryl, can you hear me? Yeah? Can you hear me? Barely? Okay. Welcome everybody to week four of a seven-week series of Yes Ministries with Laura Seifert. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for your flexibility and your patience. I know with, uh, I think they're having the bulb market upstairs as well. And so uh, just know next week we'll be back upstairs. And um, I just thank you for your patience in, uh, and flexibility in moving around. I want to make a, few, a couple of quick announcements. We are on Facebook. I'm not sure if everybody knows that. So if you do, if you're on Facebook and you want to be on Facebook, there's a little search box at the very top. And, and in that search box, all you have to put is, it's not on? I just don't have a voice that carries. That, oh, that's as loud as it gets. Yeah. All right. So on Facebook, it's Yes Ministries. If you just put Yes Ministries in that box on Facebook, it'll say Sumner's Hall. There's two Yes Ministries. One's at Golf Crest down in Friendswood. But our uh, Facebook is Yes Ministries. And so you'll get the recordings on there. You'll get a reminder of the invitations or different things like that. So uh, subscribe to us on Facebook. Prayer cards are on the table. Make sure you write down a prayer request. And Laura and I will be praying about that. Make sure next week, whether it's a friend, a neighbor, or a coworker, that you turn around to them and say, just come one time. Make sure you invite a friend. <clears throat> Next week we'll be back upstairs. Okay, also last week we had some uh, certificates on each table for the bookstore that's here. So um, it's an amazing resource. It's an amazing bookstore. Uh, it's a nice gift shop. And so um, during our time, during our seven-week series, where's Deborah? How much is it off? 20%? We have someone with a certificate. You don't have to. How much is it? 20% off a book. 20% off a book. 20% off a gift to the library. Ooh, or 25% off a gift item. So check it out. It's wonderful for them to offer that to us. Uh, you don't have to have, I think, the little flyer. You might want to mention, hey, I'm in that women's Bible study, but we'll have more flyers out next week on the table. And I think that's it. Where's Laura? Oh, thank you. T-shirts that we have left. We know Five we have smalls or mediums. We just have large, extra large, and, and 2XL. And then once we sell out of those T-shirts, we're sold out. So thank you to those who have purchased it. Just know all the money has gone back into the ministry. We greatly appreciate that. greatly appreciate all you people coming in. I bet you had to park four miles away. Today, okay, can y'all hear me? Barely? Okay, I'm going to get loud in here. Selling <laughs> bulbs? I don't know if it's 40 watt, 100 watt, if it's LED, but they're selling bulbs upstairs. Huh? Ex flower, bulbs. flower bulbs. Oh, okay, gotcha. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. For the spring. 
Okay, so they're setting up, but in addition to that, they're having to move the Mother's Day out pickup line back over to our side. So we are like triple whammied today. So I drove up at 11.30 and I thought, Lord, this is going to be tricky. So I know a lot of you have friends that are still trying to get here. So we just, we just say thank you for your patience and we just come against any schemes of the enemy to shake us up. So here we go, girls. Okay, really quickly, I want to make a quick announcement. Um, St. John the Divine, this church here, uh, is having an outreach dinner for Agape Ministries, and it is Tuesday, October 25th. Any more information that you need, you can get it from Melissa back here, right? Raise your cute hand. Okay. <laughs> This is a great ministry to the fourth ward in Houston. So if you want any information, Melissa's your girl. Okay, I'm going to pray for us and get myself centered and you centered. And we're just going to have a great time of Bible study today. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you so much that when two or more are gathered in your name, you are among us. And so we just thank you ahead of time for what you want to do. Father, you're so gracious to us. Thank you that these sweet women that have tried to fight through this crazy maze of traffic and parking, God. We just thank you, and we just ask those that are on the fence that are ready to do a U-turn, would you open up a spot for them, Lord, and let them park? And would they come in and let them have a sandwich and not be cranky, Lord, but be ready to hear from you? <laughs> Father, we know that the enemy would do anything he could to disrupt your plans here, and so we come against that, any assignment, in the name and by the blood of Jesus, Lord. And we ask your covering over us today. Father, we thank you for your word that's alive and active, and we pray that you would use it to transform us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Okay, girls. We're in a, the middle of a seven-week series, and the title is Yes, okay? And we are looking at what are God's yeses to you and to me. In other words, what are his promises? What has is, what is he promised us? And the scripture for this ministry, yes, comes from 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. And in turn, we say yes to the glory of God. Last week, if you were here, we looked at one question um, that we might ask God is, do you love me? And God's answer, of course, is yes. But then our answer in turn is what do you do in response to that yes? Because the yes that we're talking about as we understand God's promises is more than just intellectual assent. It's more than just, okay, yeah, I get it. Jesus loves me, this I know. No, it's are you really going to put your believing weight into that? Are you really going to believe, okay, he loves me, therefore I can always come home. Always come home. We studied John, uh, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son and the older son that was bitter. And both of them had the opportunity to come home. God was saying, I love you. I love you. One of them came home and the other one didn't. And so the challenge for all of us, regardless of where you find yourself on your spiritual path, is have you come back home to the Lord? And maybe some of us in the room need to come home for the first time. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, you can go to yesministries.net and you can download it and listen to it. But that was our question is, does God love me? Yes. And in turn, will I come back and receive that love by coming home? So today we're going to start with another question. And the question is this, does God have a plan for my life? Does God have a plan for my life? Now here's the thing. 
You may say, okay, God loves me and he's got a wonderful plan for my life. If you were ever involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, that was the way they always initiated conversations with non-believers. They would say, did you know God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life? But here's the truth, is God does love you. And God does have a plan for your life. So the, the answer is yes. And I want to look at a few passages of Scripture that kind of uh, feed into this. And then we're going to look at the way this comes alive through the life of Moses. So I want to read a few passages. So listen with me. David talks to us through, the Lord speaks to us through David in Psalm 139. And he says, your eyes have seen my unformed body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And he says, all the days were ordained for me before one of them came into being. Another translation says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. All of my days were ordained for me before one of them came to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for your life? Jeremiah 29, 11. God says this, he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and they're not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. God says, I know the plans I have for you. What can we take away from that one sentence? I know, God says, the plans I have for you. Whose plans are they? And whose plans are they for? Me. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. We're going to come back to that word plans in just a second. But God clearly says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This is New Testament. Paul says, God says through Paul, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can brag about it. For we're God's masterpiece. Now that may be really hard for us to get our mind around. We're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Good plans, not plans to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. From the moment you were conceived, from the moment you and I were knit together in our mama's wombs, God had his eye on us. And God had plans for you and he had plans for me. And part of God's plans for me involved today and involved what I'm teaching today. Part of God's plans for you involved your being here today. And his plans are good plans. And this is what I've come to know to be true about the Lord. There's seats up here, y'all. There's seats here. Raise your hand if you've got seats, y'all. Seats over here. But, from, uh, but what I love about the Lord, and as I continue to grow in my relationship with him, what I am learning to be true in my guts is that God's plans for me are the most satisfying plans for me. And they glorify him the most. When I'm living out my calling, in other words, when I'm walking in the plans that he has ordained for me before the beginning of time, when I'm walking in his will, I'm the most satisfied and he is the most glorified. Does that make sense? Most satisfied and most glorified. But here's the thing that I want to address today. 
is that we can all agree, or maybe not, it's okay, but when we look at Scripture, it seems pretty glaringly clear that God has plans for us. But our yes in response is this. Am I going to surrender my plans and pick up His plans for me? Because there's a difference between my plans and His plans. Now, here's where we get tripped up. Because oftentimes what I had believed in my life is that what God is asking from me is that my yes, if I'm to say yes back to him in regard to plans for my life, it means I have to surrender my dreams to him. I have to give up on my dreams and pick up his plans. And so I equate dreams with plans. And in reality, they're different. They're different. Because a dream, I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, it had lots of different definitions, but for today, what I mean by dream is the definition of being a cherished desire. A dream is a cherished desire. Isn't that sweet? A cherished desire. But a plan, our steps, a scheme, a plan, is a, is a thought-through step here, like to get from A to B. A plan is a scheme or a um, steps, really is what the dictionary said, steps to get to a desired goal. Steps to get to a desired goal. So here's the difference. When God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you, he's talking about lots of levels. He's all-encompassing. But in our little finite minds, I start thinking, okay, if I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord, if I'm going to come home and allow the Lord to lead my life, that means I've got to give up on all of my dreams. I don't know if you've ever thought that. I certainly battled with that. Here was my big tension in my life. I thought, okay, if God asks me to follow him like those disciples and to leave my nets and just take off and follow him regardless of the cost, here's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean my greatest fears. And those greatest fears when I was 21 years old is he's going to send me to some jungle in Africa and I'll either not get married or I'm going to marry the most socially awkward man on the planet. And I'm just going to have to remind myself that he loves the Lord and so he's sweet. Really? Because there was something awry in my heart. There was something off in my heart. There was a belief, and I think it came from Genesis 2 when we looked at the, uh, week one, God's original intention, I think it came from the lie that Eve bought into that we have believed our entire lives too, is, is God really good? Did God really say, is he really trustworthy? Is he really worth everything? Will he hold out on me? Is his character worth trusting with everything, even my cherished desires? Because here's the thing, as I walk with the Lord and as I continue to fall in love with Him, Scripture says as I do that, as I delight myself in the Lord, He will give me the what? The desires of my heart. So what that doesn't mean is whatever it is I want, if I just show up at church and come to Bible study and pretend as though I'm delighting myself in the Lord, He's going to give me what I want. What the passage means is as I grow more and more in love with the Lord, that means I delight in Him. That means I'm in awe of Him. And believe me, believe me, as you grow in knowledge of who God is, you're not going to have to manufacture a heart that loves Him. You're going to be overwhelmed 
by who he is. And the love that you have for the Lord cannot compare with even the love for your kids. <gasps> Gasps come from those that are mamas in the room. And so what that passage means is as you delight yourself in the Lord, as you focus on that relationship first, he'll give you desires. Your desires may change, but they'll be his desires planted in your heart. Does that make sense? He'll give you the desires of your heart. So a cherished desire, a dream, is not something God's saying, now you just got to let go of that and forget that. Because my cherished desire was to have kids for five years. Didn't know if I ever would. But God never once said, now stop, just squish that desire. Squish it down, Laura. Any single ladies in the house? All the single ladies. All you single ladies. God's not saying, now just squish that desire to be married. Squish it down. That's the most noble spiritual thing you can do. That is, no, that's a lie from the pit. You take that desire and you lay it at the feet of the cross. You continue to lay it before the Lord. But you can believe if there's a desire there, he's not asking you to snuff it out and squish it. He's just asking you to trust him with it. He's asking you to trust him with it. So God says, I know the plans that I have for you, and they're good plans. But here's what I'm learning, is that God can plant a desire in my heart like a desire to have children. But the steps, a.k.a. the plans that he takes to bring that about, look nothing like my own. And that's what we surrender. We surrender the how-to. We, sur- we surrender that here's how this is going to take place. I want my kid to grow up and love you, so I'm going to control the socks off him. I'm going to make sure he's always at church, even if he hates it. How's that working? How's that working? I want my husband to be a spiritual leader, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep manipulating him. And I'm just going to uh, just open the Bible, right? Lay it on his pillow so that when he comes to bed, it's just open. And it's going to be at Ephesians 5, talking about husbands, cherish your wives. And I'm just going to trust that somehow it's going to take. Do you see who's controlling the plans there? The desire is a good desire. If you're married and you're in this room today and you want your husband to step up in a spiritual way, in a way that maybe he's not yet done, get on your knees and that's your battleground. You start asking the Lord for that, but you let, your hus- you let the Lord be in control of the plans for your husband. Boy, I know the plans I have for my kiddos. And they're good plans. They're not plans to harm him, harm them. Ben's pitching tonight. You know what my plans are for Ben? Strike out, strike out, strike out, strike out. What might God's plans be? Humility. Humility. I don't, I don't know. But, but it's hard. It's very difficult. As women, part of the fall that we looked back, and I promise we'll get to the passage of Scripture we're studying today. But part of Genesis 2 and 3, part of the result of the fall, do you remember when the Lord said in Genesis 3, you're going to desire your husband, Eve? And we think, oh, that's awesome. I'll always be in the mood. That's what that means. No, it doesn't. (laughs) That word desire means I'll always want to control him. But it goes far beyond that one relationship. Really, as women, we're fearful beings. Men are too. But the way we try and provide security for ourselves is self-protection and control, right? We protect, we protect, we protect because we don't want to be vulnerable. And we control, control, control especially those people and those things that are most precious to us. And God is saying, the plans that I have for you, they're good plans, but they're my plans. And here's the thing. He doesn't give us a big blueprint. 
When he approached Abraham and he said, I've got plans for you. Here's what it's going to entail. You've got to leave your native country and you've got to come to a place that I'm going to show you. That was it. There it was. Abraham had to grab the Lord by the hand and he had to walk with him. And as he walked with him, he discovered what the Lord's plans were. And they weren't always easy. And we're going to look at that. But here's the beautiful thing about the Lord. His plans for you and for me, His plans can never be thwarted. Never be thwarted. Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you, no tongue that raises up in judgment will ever succeed. They're God's plans. And so if I'm trusting the Lord, things, seasons in my life that look like detours and plan B, God weaves them right back in. His plans will not be thwarted. My job, trust Him. Now let's look at what that, how that plays out in the life of Moses. Now I've never taught on Moses before, and I've really loved studying him this week. And I see a series in our future, girls, maybe with this. But, but I want to look at the birth of Moses. I want to start, and we're not even going to look at, the, we're not even going to get to the burning bush if you know anything about this passage of Scripture. Moses was a great prophet, and Moses was the man that God chose to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt, where they were enslaved, to the promised land. So the Lord, as Moses was knit together in his mama's womb, he knew this destiny was on Moses' life. He knew it. This was not a surprise. He didn't look around and go, okay, I'll just pick Moses. He knew. He's sovereign. But as we watch Moses' life, you'll be able to relate in your own life and in your children's lives if you have kids. And plans often in our natural world look crazy and chaotic and like a maze. I just want the des- I just want to get to my destiny in one straight, fluid, smooth path. It's been anything but that for me, and it's been anything like that for Moses. So let's jump in in Exodus 2. We're going to also look at his mom because this story is about her too. We're starting in verse 1, chapter 2 of Exodus. It says, About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married, and the woman became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Let me give you a backdrop on this. About this time means that the current king of Egypt was very threatened by the Israelites. Joseph has died. All of his brothers have died. This whole generation of people have died. And the current Pharaoh king of Egypt is a mean man and God continues to multiply the Israelites just like he promised Abraham. These people will outnumber the sands of the grain of sands on the sea and they continue to multiply even though they're enslaved but this threatens the king. It threatens him and he says these Israelites if they ever get mad at us they could take us out. So we've got to make sure that we keep our thumb on them. So they were enslaving the Israelites and then he continued to get more insecure the king. So he ordered that every Hebrew, which were the Israelites, every Hebrew baby that was born a boy was to be cast into the Nile River and drowned. So uh, the little girls could live, but the boys could not. And so this had just happened, and that's where we pick up in Exodus 2. In, verse, in chapter 1, you read about it, but we're in, verse, in chapter 2. So about this time, when the king had ordered that all male babies be killed, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. I don't know if you, if you are a mom in the room today, if God's given you visions or given you a sense for your kids. I, I've had a sense for both of my kids from the time they were in the womb. 
And I just continue to, to pray about it over the Lord. But I think this woman's name is Jochebed. I'm going to butcher it, but Jochebed. But she had a sense about this child. She knew he was special, and she kept him hidden for three months. Because here's the thing. She put her life at risk to save her son. Because what she should have done is cast him into the Nile River like all the other Hebrew women had done. But by faith in God, she resisted and she held on to this baby, trusting that God was going to protect this child. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Boy, that's a good reminder for me and maybe a good reminder for you is that I follow one God and he always has the final say, always has the final say. And so when my children are under authority, God is the ultimate authority. And I love that she was courageous enough to keep this baby hidden for three months. But now look at what happens in verse three. It says, but when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds, among the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to, me, to him. I want you to think about this sweet mother in two, uh, two angles today, as a mom and as a woman. As a mother... She knows there's no, it's no longer time. She can't hide this baby under her pouch anymore. There, people are going to find out that she's got this little boy and they're going to kill this child. And so she's doing the next best thing that she knows to do for this kid. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt out of control on behalf of your kids? I don't know the next best thing to do for this kid, but I want this kid to do well. So this is what I'm going to do, Lord. And this is what she did. So she made this little basket. And it's really, when it's translated, it means ark. And it's the same word that's used when you see Noah building an ark to save. This ark was meant to save this child's life. So she makes this basket. And she puts her baby in it. And she lays him among the reeds. So right at the bank of the Nile River. And as she does it, she's taking this leap of faith that maybe somehow this child will be rescued. But here's what she's also doing as a woman, is she's putting her most precious thing in this basket. And she's surrendering it, not knowing what will happen. Have you ever been there? Are you a woman with a dream today? Are you a woman with something that you cherish that's so precious to you? And you've had to lay it down before the Lord. I take great courage and am inspired by this woman. I can't even imagine, I mean, I would kill anyone gladly and willingly if they came near my kids. I, I, I really would. I would do whatever it takes to protect my children. And yet she is trusting God and saying, okay, I'm going to build this. I'm going to do the, the only thing I know to do. I'm going to lay this baby here. And I, I mean, I can't even imagine the grief that she must have been experiencing. And look at how tender the Lord is. So she put the baby in the basket. She laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister, whose name is Miriam, and you'll learn about her later if you study the, uh, Exodus. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. I wonder if the mom couldn't even look, just had to walk away. I don't know. Verse 5, it says, Soon Pharaoh, the king's daughter, came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds... She sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. 
The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And this is where I love to see the providential hand of God at work. Because this princess picks it up and instantly anybody else may have picked it up and remembered the king's edict and could have drowned that baby. But this woman had compassion on this child. And then the baby's sister approaches the princess and said, um, should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? That's called shrewd, ladies. <laughs> it's called shrewd. Women are good at that, aren't we? And the princess says, yes, do that. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. This is what I love about the Lord. When she surrenders, he picks it back up and gives it back. Do you see that? When she surrenders, he picks it back up and gives it back. I can't even begin to tell you time and time and time in my life when God has asked me to lay something down because my grip on it was going to choke the life out of it. And God's saying, if you'll just trust me and lay it down, I might give it back to you. And if I do, it's going to be better than it was before. And if I don't, you can know that I've got plans for you that you're going to look back and go, it's okay. It's okay. Because his plans for you are always, always good. And so she says, um, so here comes Jochebed. I can't even remember her name. We find out in Genesis 6 they talk about who the parents' names are. But it says, take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, and I'll pay you for your help. Did y'all get paid for nursing your kids? <laughs> I didn't. I don't, I don't know if I missed that paycheck, but I didn't get it. I'll pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him and nursed him. Imagine what that day was like for her. It says later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him up out of the water. See, this is what I love about uh, Moses' mom is that she knew the time would come when she was going to have to give her son up. You know, Mary went through that too. We've got to do that. There comes a time, and, and I don't just speak to moms today. Whatever the dream is, whatever the cherished desire is, there comes a time where if you're clinging to it with grip, with a tight fist, you will choke the life out of it because your plans are never going to prosper like God's plans will prosper. And so there will always come a time that you'll find yourself in conflict and you want to trust the Lord and you want to walk with Him and you want to be full out abandoned to the Lord and He'll say, here's what's holding you back. That thing that you're clinging to, that thing that you're so afraid, if you trust me, I'm not going to bring it to fruition. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's the career. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a calling in your heart that you know you're meant to do something and you just don't know when it's going to come to pass. Maybe it's a relationship to be restored. Maybe it's something with your own health. I don't know what it is, but what is that thing? God is saying, you can't fix it. You can't bring it to pass on your own. Maybe you can kind of I mean, do y'all remember if you, if you know in Genesis when Sarah and Abraham were waiting to have a son, Isaac, and Sarah, instead of trusting the God with this cherished desire, she just got tired of waiting. So she pulls Hagar, the maid, and has Abraham sleep with her. And then the whole uh, nation of Ishmael comes about, and they're always at war with Israel because she couldn't wait. She could just trust the Lord. Her plan 
She, had, she got the baby. It wasn't from her own womb, but she got that baby. How well did that work for her? She was tormented by it. Tormented by it. Some of us today in the room just need to hear this. Wait one more day. One more day. God will give you the strength for every single minute. But would you be willing today to say, okay, I'm going to continue to have open hands with this cherished desire, this dream. And what I love about Moses' mama is that she was always open-handed. What says to me about that is that she trusted the Lord. She trusted the Lord. She's in the, in Hebrews chapter 11, she's in the, the hall of faith where uh, the writer of Hebrews just goes over and over about different um, examples of men and women that had godly faith that just trusted the Lord against all odds. The Lord was so gracious to her. And so then she gets adopted by the king into the Egyptian palace. And he does, Moses, and he, he wants for nothing. Wants for nothing. Has a silver spoon in his mouth. And he grows up in the king's palace. He grows up in the king's palace. And it says, many years later, when he had grown up, we think he's about 40. Acts 7 refers back to this and gives him the number of 40, that when Moses was about 40, he had grown up. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. Now, in Acts chapter 7, it refers back to this, and the passage says that... that compassion had developed in Moses' heart for his own people. And that's really important for us today. And I love the way the Lord works because part of his plans coming to reality in your life, your natural life, will be the desires of your heart. So all of a sudden your heart will begin to be tugged towards something or begin to break towards something. It was interesting when they asked me to announce this announcement about the Agape Ministries. I said, okay, well, what, what is Agape Ministries? Well, there was a family in the church, the Craig family, that become, they became burdened for the community of the Fourth Ward in Houston. So what did they do? Well, what we would all do is they just packed up their kids and sold their house and moved to the Fourth Ward. And they started Agape Ministries because their heart was beginning to break for this one community. I remember when I was in college, I didn't have a fat clue what I was going to do with my life. I chose speech communication as my major because my boyfriend at the time said, you like to talk? You'd probably like this. I'm not even kidding. Not even kidding. I got into the major and really loved the major. Had no idea what my plans were for the major. Certainly didn't involve ministry. But I remember as I was asking and I was thinking about what I was going to do with my life because all of my friends had internships going on and they had resumes and I didn't even know how to do a resume, literally. And I just remember going, okay, well, what is it that I like? Okay, well, I, I like to talk. I love people and I like to engage with people. How do you make money at that? Well, you don't go into ministry. <laughs> but I remember sitting at the sitting at my dinner table home from college with my family. And I remember trying to communicate this desire to my family going, I, I feel like there's something bubbling up in me. And it's to, to I don't know if it's to, it's not really to give speeches. I don't know what it is. And I'm telling you, the blank stares coming back at me. I can still see them. But God at that time in my life was planting a seed in me, a desire in me because he knew the plans for me. He already knew 
what was coming down the road in my future. I had no idea. I was just following him. But this desire began to well up in me. Same is true for Moses. He had a desire for his people, the Hebrews, even though they could offer him nothing. They were poor. They were enslaved. He was living in the palace. If I'm living in the palace, I'm probably not thinking about these people. I'm thinking about what I'm going to acquire next. But something happened to his heart, and he wanted to go out and see them. And so he goes out, and it says he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. How's that for a plan? How's that for a plan? Now, here's what we can see about Moses is he's got a heart for justice. He's got a heart for justice. But when he grabs the reins, he's impulsive, and he makes decisions that are costly. Do you see that? Sarah had a heart for a baby, but she was impulsive. She grabbed the reins, and her decision was costly. What do you have a heart for today? What are you tempted to do in grabbing the reins? If you have children in the room, if you have children in your home, you have to continually let go of the reins. If you have a husband, let go of the reins. If you have a career, let go. Whatever it is, whose plans do you want to prevail, yours or God's? Yours will not. In the end, it leads to death. The mind of man makes his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So what we learn by that passage is God gives you desires. He gives you hearts. He gives you a heart. He gives you an inclination for something. But he knows the steps that are involved to get there. And so that's where we have to trust him. That's where the adventure takes place. Is I've got this heart to speak and it's bubbling up. So in my mind, I thought I'm either going to law school or I'm going to be a news reporter. I didn't understand. I didn't know there were any other ways to do it. Law school news reporter. I didn't really care. I, didn't, I was not smart enough to go to law school. And I didn't really, I didn't want to sit there and report the news. That didn't seem, I just wanted to be my own personality. So I really wanted to be Oprah. I thought, she's got a good gig. But I thought, I think she's got the monopoly on that. And so I didn't know, but I just kept walking with the Lord. I kept walking with the Lord. And so Moses has a heart for justice, has a heart for his people. See, that's planted by God because God knows what's coming. But he takes the reins, gets impulsive, and he kills this guy. And on verse 13, the next day, it says, When Moses went out to visit his people again... He saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to one, the one who had started the fight. And the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? What? <laughs> Scripture says your sins will always find you out. Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. Oh gosh, have y'all ever been there? Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. Tried. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in the land of Midian. Okay, here's the thing. The first part of this chapter, we see Moses as the victim, because the Pharaoh is the one that said, I'm going to kill you, because you're a boy. You've done nothing wrong. I'm just going to kill you because you're a male child. And God intervenes. Second part of the passage, we see Moses is the one that's brought this on himself. 
Moses is the one that chose to kill this Egyptian. And Moses is the one who has to flee to Midian. You ever had a detour in your life because of your own doing? Womp, womp, womp. Yes, of course we have. Y'all, we're human. How many times? Y'all, listen. When I went to school, I went to A&M. And I went to A&M way back in the 90s. And I'm telling you, every girl there, it was like if you weren't engaged by the time you were graduating, you didn't have all your friends stand around you and sing a song and all that, well, you're just a spinster for life. <laughs> really, truly. And I remember thinking that when I left because my plan was, well, I'm, I'm going to meet him spring of my junior year. We'll date through senior year. We'll be in great engaged before I graduate. I want to walk across that stage with a rock on my hand. We'll plan the, uh, um, the uh, wedding will be in the summer, and that's how it's all going to work. I didn't get married until I was 30. So here's what I did is I dated a whole lot of boys, a whole lot of boys. I didn't need to be dating are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? Bless their hearts. They're probably like, no, I ain't the one. <laughs> I ain't. I had to lay it down. I had to lay it down. So Moses acts impulsively, grabs the reins, and he finds himself fleeing for his life to Midian. Midian. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. He's running to Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. And now the priests of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their flocks. Mind you, the priests of Midian, uh, commentaries have said over and over, they believe this man was a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but it says he was uh, to fill the water of their father's troughs. But some other shepherds came and they chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds and he drew water for their flocks. And when the girls returned to rule their father, he asked, Why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he, their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and keep and eat with us. I would say this is God's hand of provision on Moses' life, wouldn't you? Verse 21, it says, Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him. And in time, he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later, she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, what do you think Moses is thinking? Here he's got this heart for justice. He's got a heart for his people, but he's in Midian. If I'm Moses, I'm thinking, well, this is plan B. So I don't know what that was all about, and maybe I'll do, I, don't, I don't really know, but I'm just going to do what's in front of me, and I'm just going to live here. I've got kids now, and so I'm just going to settle in. How many of us in this room have settled in? How many of us, of us in this room today are thinking, well, this is it? This is it. <laughs> I wandered off. I married this Yahoo. We've got kids. I took this job. 20 years later, I'm still in this industry. Here I am. I'm in Midian. I'm just going to live my life in Midian. Y'all, I am so speaking our language today. Because here's the thing. So many of us really, really, really believe that we are bigger than God. Now, here's the thing about God. He does not force his hand on us. He doesn't twist me by the arm 
and say, you will follow me. You're going to love me. No, 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 no. But when I surrender my life to him, I am in his hand and nobody can snatch me out of it. I can't even jump out of it. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm his. And am I going to make mistakes? You better believe it. But are his plans going to prosper me? Yes. His plans will not be thwarted. Even if I wind up in Midian, here's what he's going to do. He's going to figure out a way to wind me back home. Or I'm going to fulfill my calling in Midian. This is the thing about God. He is not thrown off by us and our mistakes. So here he is in Midian, and he's thinking, well, this is it. It says, years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant promise. It's a whole other series right there, just covenant. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. At just the right time, God introduced me to Jason Seifert. At just the right time. At just the right time, it was time for me to start teaching. God forbid had I started that at age 21. At just the right time. At just the right time. If you are single in the room today, listen, you don't have to pimp yourself out at bars hoping you're going to meet him. He ain't there. God knows where you are. He knows where you are in your career, and He knows where your kids are. What is my job? Yes. Yes to your plans. I'm going to follow you, and I'm telling you, I can't even see three feet in front of me, but I'm going to trust you and not lean on my own understanding, and I'm going to believe, I'm going to take you at your word that your plans for me are good plans. I'm going to stop controlling. At just the right time, God knew it was time to act. And we're going to stop there. But here's how the story goes. Moses is walking along and there's a burning bush. But the bush is not consumed. And he says, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Israel. Moses, destiny is calling. Moses, it's time to go. And let me tell you what. You will learn Moses, as he's leading his people out of Egypt to the promised land, it is so hard. But do you know what Moses got to see? He got to see the glory of the Lord in a way that no one else did. What does Scripture say? It calls Moses his friend, and it says that God spoke to Moses as if to a friend. It gives me chills. Y'all, here's the thing. The reason I want to follow God's plans are not because of the outcome or because of the adventure, although that's great. It's because I'm going to know God. I'm going to know God. And when you and I know God, we live as we were created. Everything that's holed up in here, every need gets met in the presence of God. That man that you live with, he's not God. He's not God. That kid that you're living through, not God. That career that you've banked on, not God. That bank account that you blanked, you made good plans for retirement, not God. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are good plans. They are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What is your yes today? I'm running out of time, and I'm so sorry. Here is what I want to leave you with today. Does God have plans for you? Yes. What is your yes back? 
Your yes back is I'm going to let go of control and I'm going to surrender my plans, my way of doing it, and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Lord, teach me how to trust you. Teach me how to walk in your plans and not mine. I'll close with this. Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work with us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He's able to accomplish infinitely more than we might even imagine or think. We can't even come up with what He has for us. He will answer prayers that you don't even know to ask, and especially for your kids. For your kids. Man, trust your kids to God. Trust your plans to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And as we walk through this passage, I pray that we'll go back and go over it tonight before we go to bed. Jump off the page and show us where you're at work, your sovereign hand behind the scenes. You are always aware of where Moses was. And your plans were never thwarted. And you taught him so much in Midian. Lord, thank you that you're sovereign and thank you that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ladies.